0: Johnny boy, Johnny boy here. I am uh, streaming uh, Spirit Wars live. I'm the audio engineer tonight, so uh, kick back here. I'm gonna. I just wanted to get the stream going, and so we will get these boys on the line, Michael Basham and William Ramsey, on Spirit Wars live. One moment while I Skype them up. I am Michael. I am Michael Basham's engineer for tonight on Spirit Wars Live. To the rescue! Oh yeah! I will not be I, have, I will not be I've got, got, to, got, to act, um, <laughs> got to What? Okay, go But ahead.
1: you're 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 a little choppy, though. How about me?
0: Oh no, you're good. You're good. If, if you're good, if you sound good here, then we're good on the stream. Anyway, I'm not going to be appearing on this session. I'm not going to be kicking back engineering, but this is a live Spirit Wars broadcast tonight with Michael Basham and William Ramsey. Let me hook up William Ramsey on here, and I will get out of your way. I just wanted to get I wanted to get some music going and get the stream going for the people who wanted to listen live. So you can hand out. Did you see that link there I put out? You can grab that. It's on your video chat. I put the. You can grab I'm looking. It. Can grab that link. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Grab that and pass that around, and I will get William on the line here. All right, turn on the music while I. Adding William to the call.
2: Phone, oh, you know, phone's an issue. Johnny, how are you?
0: All right, all right. All right.
2: What's up, man? You sound good.
0: Good to hear your voice, Bill. Awesome. Likewise, man. Likewise. I'm, I'm engineering tonight for Michael Basham, so. Excellent. I'll get I'm, out of I'm the ready. way and let you go. I wanted to get the stream going so that good. everybody could grab that link. Did you see the link? If you see the link in the... In the video, you know the video, the Facebook live yeah. video? The speaker, the yeah, the Spreaker. Yeah, grab that link and paste that one around. That's your live link, and we are go. I'm doing it.
2: pasting it right now. Can you guys go watch a movie in Alicia's room? all oh, good. I want to watch a movie. You can. You want to come over? <laughs> yeah. These guys, they're going to watch Pride and Prejudice for the 57th. <laughs> That's a good movie. It is a good movie.
0: I've been... <clears throat> You guys were talking. You were talking about me the other day. Um, I'm almost. I've gotten all the way through the first uh, season with uh, the um, with Jack Parsons. The Jack Parsons. Oh, nice.
2: What do you think about that? Is it good?
0: I don't know. I was. I wanted you to see it because I don't know any of the history of it. It's really interesting, though. I mean, if all that's true, wow.
2: Yeah. Well, he was. T- he was in in contact with Werner Von Braun. They were very close to each other. They were literally in a kind of smaller part of L.A. within a mile. You know, I used to call Warner von Brown, the founder of the rocket the rocket department. So in the, I don't know. In the How many episodes was it?
0: Uh, it's a 12 or 13. No, 11. I think it's 11 so far. But in the, like, oh, maybe episode nine, I think, um, it shows Aleister Crowley in his mansion and he's shooting heroin. And he writes wow. a letter to uh, to Jack Parsons and he That's delivers right. it to the – the guy who is running the you know the big cult thing, Thelma, there in L.A., and yeah. he's really jealous because you know Aleister Crowley's never talked to him personally, but no, oh, Aleister right. Crowley's got a hand,ed you know, written letter to to Jack Parsons, and he's like, Han?
2: that's interesting. So they had that. So there was a guy in L.A. whose name I can't remember. There's actually a book about him who Parsons over like became more important in the eyes of Crowley, so he got overshadowed by. <laughs> By Parsons, so maybe they're depicting that in the show.
0: Oh, they are, definitely are then. So that's true. Yeah. See, that's yeah, cool. no,
2: it's true. Yeah, wow. I, I can't remember the guy's name. There's actually a real underground fringe book about that guy. I'm gonna find his name in
0: the TV show. He's got this um, pretty good sized mansion, and uh, he's got he, he has the, he does the workings there. He's got a he's got some virgins wow. and so on.
2: They that's remarkable. Yes, so th- the guy's name was Wilfred Talbot Smith. That was the original o t o guy but you know Parsons lived on a huge mansion on a huge plot of land, and all those mansions were divvied up and turned into smaller parcels but back in the day, Pasadena on Orange what is it Orange Grove Drive, which is where they have the Rose Bowl, was like incredibly or you know rich people I think one of the bush people from Budweiser lived there. So it was uh, very high-end. So he had this, you know, literally like a mansion.
0: So Crowley owned that guy's mansion? Or, no. It, oh,
2: yeah, no. yeah.
0: In the series, so it's like been. he's like a rich, eccentric guy in L.A. Right.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: He has this – Um, he has a scar on his chest. It's like – it looks like a sigil. It's like a huh. circle with a cross inside of it. Does that – I don't bells? know what
2: that is. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember that. But I know that Crowley – put, you know, the mark of the beast on all his Scarlet Women's chests.
0: I wonder so, if that's his mark, Aleister Crowley's it, mark.
2: Well, the circle with the T is like the tau. So that's like actually a ritual uh, drawing, you know. So maybe that's about, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, it's on his chest. It shows him when he's walking down with uh, uh, Jack Parsons' wife, walking down the street. Because Jack Parsons' wife and him got real close. Because she started turning him to the darks, uh, he started turning her to the dark side. And,
2: Interesting.
0: Uh, I wonder if that's even true too. You know. Cause, Interesting. Cause she wasn't into it. She was a good Catholic at, at first, but you know, she started getting really interested. So he's hanging out with her, and he's anyway, he's walking down the street in Pasadena with her, and he's got it's not a tattoo, it's like a scar, like somebody cut it out with a dagger.
2: Interesting. It's
0: big, right on across his chest, a circle with. It. I really need
2: to watch that then. I, I don't know about that. But the book that I was referencing is called, if you're really bored, it's on Amazon. It's called The Unknown God, Wilfred T. Smith and the Thelemites. So that was it. And there's actually a kind of a semi-famous picture of Wilfred T. Smith, this Regina Cal character who was like a lesbian at that time, and Jack Parsons together in an attic where there was the OTO attic where they would do rituals, which is off of Hollywood Boulevard. That was where the old OTO lodge was. Uh, not not at Jack Parsons' house, but that no. was in the old kind of Hollywood from the 30s.
0: Yeah, that's, that's in the TV series. They do it in oh, the attic. Yep, that's right.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's all correct. So that was all designed – that Gnostic mass was all designed by Crowley based upon the Orthodox mass that he saw in Russia while well, he was in Russia. So he actually kind of – like another perversion of a Christian ritual. And in the center of that – I don't know if they show it in the show, but that's where the Book of the Law is supposed to be.
0: Yeah. And the and the naked virgin and in, uh, inside of a salt circle and yep.
2: all that yeah. Well, well, that was done. I think the producer was uh, the guy who did Alien. You know what's his name? Um, totally blanking Ridley Scott. So I think that he's involved in that, which usually means you know more serious, more intelligent.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I keep I'm oh. keep waiting for Hell, Ron Hubbard to show up, but that, that's like much later, isn't
2: it? Yeah, maybe later. Yeah, it probably will. Do they have him like Parsons mixing with sci- uh, science fiction writers and stuff? Uh, the, um,
0: yes. Uh, he would go to book readings and hang right. out at book readings with his wife, who sure. was into it. Interesting. So. Yeah, he mostly he's working on his rockets, his solid fuel rockets. That's mostly right. what he's doing. But it keeps every you know every every episode he's back in that mansion, you know, up in the attic. They're doing something.
2: Yeah, I'll have to check it out. So it's, it sounds like it's it's worth watching.
0: I can't I think, think of the name of it. And... It's CBS All Access. Strange,
2: strange Angel, right?
0: Strange Angel on CBS. I paid nine ninety five a month to watch it. Michael, I'm totally taking over your show. Get in here.
2: Yeah, where are you?
1: <laughs> I uh, carry the show for just a minute. I'm going to try to. S- my wife just got home. I'm going to try to switch to her phone. Last ditch emergency effort here.
0: You sound cool. pretty good. I'll I'll jump right back down. Okay, good, cool. Actually, you sounded pretty good right there. I'm engineering tonight. This is not my show, everybody. This is Michael Basham's show.
2: I'm pulling Michael out Basham – G.K. Chesterton fan. I didn't know that. That was uh, came to my attention within the last couple of days.
0: Yeah, Michael has actually gotten on live and actually read from his books.
2: I have listened to those. I have listened to a few of those on um, the Fringe Radio Network.
0: I had never heard it's- of the guy before, actually. I
2: mean, well, I, I was, I was t- talking to Mike on the other uh, video chat that we tried on Zoom. Crowley referenced Chesterton. And uh, Chesterton actually read Crowley's one of Crowley's books, which was called "The Soul of Osiris," and so Chesterton had a comment about that, which is interesting.
0: Uh, not a nice comment,
2: right? Because Chesterton well, it was, was like a theologian. it was a critique. It was like wow. a nice, like a nice kind of you know Christianized. Uh, here, here it is. Crowley has always been, in my opinion, a good poet. So he said something nice about that. And then the other comment was was a little bit more verbose he said if mr crowley and the new mystics think that for one moment a broken temple of osiris is more supernatural than a baptist chapel in brixton then they are sectarians and only sectarians of no more value to humanity than those that think the english soil is the only soil worth defending mr crowley is a strong and genuine poet and we have little doubt that he will work up from his appreciation of the temple of osiris that loftier and wider work of the human imagination the appreciation of the brixton chapel
0: Oh, so he's trying to, he's being really kind to him.
2: He is. And then, here it is, in one of Crowley's book, he replies to Chesterton in Why Jesus Wept, The Study of Society and the Grace of God. He says, Dear Mr. Chesterton, Alone among the puerile, alone among the puerile apologists of your detestable religion, Christianity, you hold a reasonably mystic head above the tides of criticism. You are the last champion of God. With you... I choose to measure myself. Others I can despise. You are a force to be reckoned with, as Browning, your intellectual father, was before you. I hope Basham can hear this, because this is good stuff. So this is Crowley writing to Chesterton. Or not writing to him, but writing about him. Uh, note about him. Whether we are indeed friends or enemies, it is perhaps hard to say. It has sometimes seemed to me that human freedom and happiness are our common goal, but that you found your muddied oaths in gods, ministers, passive resistors, and all the religious team, the, quote, Brixton... Shots, we might call them, while I, at once a higher mystic and a colder skeptic, found my Messiah in Charles Watts and the devil and all his angels. The occasion of this letter is the insertion of a scene equivalent to an appreciation of the Brixton Chapel. In my masterpiece, Why Jesus Wept, can I do more than make your Brixton my deus, deus ex machina? You see, when I wrote The Soul of Osiris, Europe was my utmost in travel. Today, what country of the globe has not shuddered with the joy of my presence. The virgin snows of Chogori, the gloomy jungles of Burma, filled with savage buffaloes and murderous chins, the peace of Waikiki, them, the breeding hopeful putrefaction of America, the lonely volcanoes of Mexico, the everlasting furnace of sands of Egypt, all these have known me. Travel thou thus far, thou also. Somewhat thou shalt learn, but otherwise, gird on thine armor for thy Christ, O champion of the dying faith in man dead. Arm, arm, and out, for the young warrior of a new religion is upon thee, and his number is the number of man. Wow. So he wrote towards Chesterton. Yeah.
0: Let me add Michael here. That's uh that sounds like they were kind of uh they, they were Crowley admired him because he was speaking yes. nicely about him.
2: An intellectual equals probably, yeah. but you know, he flat out says, At once my higher mystic and colder skeptic found my messiah, and Charles Watts, who was a secular secularist and free thinker and the devil and all his angels. So there he is, Crowley, admitting again, devil worshiper. But, you know, the the um, pro-Crowley people, of whom I just had a kind of, not conflict, but what was his name? Michael Sarian wrote some, like, one-star review on Prophet, but this book that I'm actually referencing, uh, he wrote a one-star review on it and said that I was a, uh, I don't know, mediocrity or something like that. But he was, he was but he had written, he, had, he had said something. I actually just posted something about him where he was saying Crowley was a beautiful man, misunderstood, blah, blah, blah. But we can do, I mean, I can read some stuff about Crowley that just peeled, I mean, it's just incredible. Some of it, his admissions that uh, I think that if Michael Tsarian knew, you know, knew that I could publish that, it would just destroy any opinion of Crowley. I, you yeah, know, it's bad.
0: Yeah. It's a, yeah. There's nothing like real information. Michael, did you miss that? It was, he's, um, William was, uh, reading, uh, a dialogue between Chesterton and Crowley. Did you hear that?
1: I heard, I caught the last part of it and that just blows me away that there was any interaction between those guys because Chesterton is almost like a Christian Crowley. If you think about it. He's very, he's one of the most absolutely influential Western Christian writers in history ever, you know? UK Chesterton, yeah, except he's not celebrated.
2: It's interesting. Yeah, but I mean, Chesterton was commenting on so much stuff, right? I mean, he was a critic, writer, apologist, just a, really a literature, like a very broad literary, you know, background. He was,
1: so my, he was our, educated in the victorian era and basically he carried the torch from the last like all the classics like you read chesterton you're basically listening to a guy that spent his whole life reading all the the classics and getting classically trained victorian education and then head-on facing the onslaught of the eugenics movement and all of the the birthing of of those idiots that started the bolshevik revolution and communism and and the Nazis and like he was there like hacking away at those philosophies at their inception, you know? Exactly. I mean, he's just, it's, he's a legend and he's been completely buried by just everybody, you know?
2: Where, where was he educated? Do you know his educational background?
1: You know, that's something I'd like to go back and read his um, autobiography again, because, um, Obviously, he was in England. Um, I'm not sure which school he went to. I
2: wonder if he went to, like, one of, you know, Oxford or Cambridge, one of these high-end places. He was educated at St. Paul's School and attended the Slade School of Art to become an illustrator. So that was it. So he's basically... uh, As a young man, Chesterton became fascinated with the occult, along with his brother Cecil, experimented with Ouija boards. That's interesting.
1: Wow. Yeah, they so, so call him a kind of a mystic writer. The way that he writes is is almost like in a in a sense, just constantly getting going off into these other dimensions and other parallel universes. But he's he's extremely logical and and just kind of like plays with paradoxes. And it's just such a joy to read Chesterton. Anybody that's faced with any kind of modern day lies or any kind of um, like liberal professors just come home. Just close all your books at your school and just open up Chesterton, and it's like taking a nice bath.
2: So when did you – how did you come across Chesterton? When did that happen?
1: Well, when I was in Tokyo, um, 17 years old in the countryside outside of Tokyo, I I had brought C.S. Lewis's autobiography as kind of a new Christian, and and he mentioned The Everlasting Man. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That sounds like a cool book. And then about two years later, when I was at a Jesuit university in Tokyo, um, I just happened upon the same book in one of the priest's libraries, um, a priest by the name of Peter Millward. He had this really cool library um, called the Renaissance Center. And I was just fishing through books to find something for my English class. I was teaching English. And um, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Everlasting Man. That's that book that C.S. Lewis mentioned. So I just randomly grabbed it. Back then, I was just grabbing all kinds of books and just sort of flipping through them. And this book, I read every page. I read it like three or four times. And it <clears throat> absolutely changed my whole just dichotomy of everything, cosmology. Okay. Of them. I almost became Catholic because of it. But then I found out that the Catholics don't really even follow it. So he's just his own kind of universe.
2: That's interesting too. So he got labeled a Catholic, but his ideas would probably not be considered orthodox within Catholicism.
1: I think the Catholics like to boast themselves that that he was and that they that he belongs to them. It's just that the Catholic Church now has betrayed so many foundational Christian things that you know, it's almost like Chesterton he belongs to all of humanity and I mean he inspired Lewis and Tolkien was one of those guys that, that came, um, from that tradition. Um, you know, they're the next generation. Chesterton was like world war one. And then they came world war two and after. And so when you're reading him, you're just basically, you're like opening Dr. Who's phone booth, you know, you're just going into this and Dr. Who, by the way, was kind of also modeled after some of those, um, books of his. Which and others echoed. So you're getting if you go to if you go through Everlasting Man, you're going through like a very uh, quintessential, full of paradoxes, but very foundational Christian um, everything. You know, it's beyond Catholicism for sure.
2: It's interesting. I think it says here in his bio that he was known as the Prince of Paradox. So he was constantly writing, you know, taking things apart, inverting them, things like that. That's interesting. Uh, um, <clears throat> so when you uh, when you were in, so you've been to both Japan and then to Taiwan. When you were in Japan, w- what point did you come from? Did you come from a Christian family? And at what point did you con- consider yourself converted?
0: Nope.
1: 70s try
2: that again start from the beginning
1: yeah. so that was kind of like my family but then he died when I was five and my parents kind of church hopped and and I was just a typical you know suburban you know millennial teenager playing Nintendo um, but
2: you're coming in and out again
1: <clears throat> he he answers you so it was like okay, so if God is real, then I guess I better follow him and um, and just started sort of a journey of faith, not with any denomination. Uh, my parents were going to like some Presbyterian church and they weren't sure what they were either. They were going like Lutheran. We were Lutheran once, and then we were Presbyterian. And then I, w- I almost became Catholic in Tokyo and um, felt a great love for Japanese culture, Japanese language, studying the language. And then I met the children of God in Tokyo. And since I didn't have any like, Commitments or anything. I was like, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and join these guys and learn how to be a street witness or evangelist. You know, and I went to communist China and then Taiwan and I learned Chinese and I, I studied the Chinese. Um, I, I took Chinese for five years and got just a bachelor's in Taiwan. But um, meanwhile, I've been listening to you guys. The fringe has been like my latest big conquest has just been to learn reality. And so it's kind of come full circle. And then I, I learned about the, myst- the Christian mystics, and thanks to Johnny, um, we were able to kind of, you know, start this show, the Spirit Wars uh, journey. And and I turned around and started interviewing all my heroes, and it's been it's been pretty awesome. Like, I mean, I I wouldn't be profess to be an expert of anything except I've I've been around. You know, I've seen like some pretty weird stuff, and and God has me and.
2: That's now, interesting. I... When you were in Japan with the Children of God, were they all ethnically Japanese or did they have Americans there? Or how, how What was the kind of organization like? Well, that's
1: one little known fact, even among the Children of God uh, members back in the day themselves, is that um, the Japanese Children of God were eth- ethnically pretty much all Japanese. And I would never have joined them had I not met the Japanese version of the cult because... They actually had things pretty together. Like they, they really had that sort of Japanese sense of samurai loyalty to a cause, to a mission, and they, um, they just they were very spiritual. You know, they, they had their. I don't know if you're familiar with anything about them, but I could go only off. the oh. most
2: negative stuff. You know, the most salacious yeah. cult type stuff that I've heard. But you did admit that they were a cult.
1: They just are, me. are yes, they were, and they still. I thought they were dead. I thought that. I thought the cult died.
2: Lost you right there. You got to get close to your phone.
0: I better step in here. I call myself an audio engineer. I'm on the front (laughs) porch listening. I should be right here.
2: What do you know about the children (laughs) of God? Do you know anything?
0: Uh, no, I don't know anything about him except for when Michael told me. I'd never even heard of him.
2: Well, it's of- a small group, David Berg, but they were, uh, like the whole, uh, what is it? River Phoenix and Joaquin Phoenix. They, their parents were from Children of God and they traveled to South America all over. And, you know, it was supposedly ostensibly on the front, on the front Christian, but this guy Berg, there was all kinds of pretty scandalous stuff pedophilia and all kinds of uh how they would attract followers internally they called it flirty fishing so some of the women would go out and find you know followers but it sounds like basham came kind of came at it from a different angle from J- japan i don't even know how many members were in the children of god at any time but i when i was younger at berkeley and this is like 1992 93 was, ran into i knew you know it was a lot of hippies and northern california of like granola people but i knew somebody who knew and that people in the outpost of the children of god in berkeley california so i had actually met a couple of them totally normal externally but man there's some i mean this i would i knew and i knew a girl who had kind of one of these same kind of children of god names these you know things that referred to rivers and sunshine and all this stuff and uh Man, she she had like multiple personalities or something. Like she would flip between persons. I didn't know. I was way too young and unread to really understand what was happening. But she she would flip literally flip between different sensibilities at the drop of a hat. It was very strange. So that was uh, kind of my run in with them without ever ever researching them or anything. And it was uh, it was quite quite an interesting experience for me. But yeah, it sounds like Mike kind of went through a different angle. You back, Mike? No.
0: I see him there. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay.
2: I'm here. Right.
1: So yeah, I think it's um all these hotels in Waikiki are trying to conflict with the the phone service. It should be better now. Um am I coming in okay? Yeah, yeah. Yep, sound beautiful.
2: Sounds great now. So how okay. big was the group when you were in Japan? How big was the Children of God group?
1: I have about 10,000, uh, members. I mean, I have, they, they had about 10,000 members always. Like even when I joined it, there were just a steady 10,000
2: member membership in Japan,
1: in Japan, in Japan, wow. I would oh. say like maybe about eight or 900 or so.
2: So it was substantial in, in like, uh, Tokyo. Where were you?
1: I was in Tokyo. I was um, studying at, a, at, again, the, the Jesuit University there, Sophia University. I love to freak out conspiracy theorists and tell them that I joined the Children of God at the Jesuit University.
2: <laughs> right. So it was the, just... It's double, just yeah, right.
1: And I dated her, and then she broke up with me as soon as I joined it. So she was like, how dare you join my cult? You know? Oh,
2: interesting. She's to... like,
1: oh, no, <laughs> what have you done? <laughs>
2: So how did you get from Japan to Taiwan?
1: Um well, when I when I ended up with them, um I was in and out of the membership, you know, it was it was kind of like a elite end time army thing and of course I'm like who I am, you know, I'm going to piss people off and they're like, "Hey, you can't you can't be elite anymore. You're not elite enough. Goodbye." And so then I was just, you know, running around America like not sure what to do with my life, and then I ended up uh, with one of my friends that had also been in and out of the whole elite training squad. He um, invited me to Taiwan because his sister-in-law was there, and I found out that there was this huge community of children of God people in, in Taiwan okay. that were pretty much there because it's the the cost of living is so cheap, um, the exact opposite of Hawaii and people are are friendly and there's pretty much no law so <laughs> you can get away with just about anything in taiwan you know I didn't um i uh, i mean it's true like we, i wouldn't even know where to begin with what i learned in taiwan although i mean anybody that knows taiwan that is that is the chinese government that is the original republic of china government that was kicked out right
2: Chiang the, tai shek right
1: yeah yeah and they were displaced there and to this day, I mean, it's still kind of a rotten, you know, corrupt mess, but Chinese people are overall very civilized uh, to a certain extent. So things, you know, you're not going to get your wallet stolen if you drop it for a few hours, up to a few hours, sure. usually anyway. But they will, they will, you know, take you before court and just lie about everything and, and just let you let people get away with literally just heinous crimes and, and things go unnoticed because of the whole face saving thing. So like,
2: right. that was quite That's... an interesting thing. Yeah. How long were you that. there? How long were you in Taiwan for? I was there for about 10 years. Oh, wow. So you, then, so you really immersed yourself, language, culture, the whole bit.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I can, Um, I've done, sh- I've done videos in Chinese where I just talk about, you know, the, f- the fact that Mao Zedong was trained by the CIA and, Taiwan is the original government of China. And I'll speak all in Chinese before Chinese students and, you know, post it to YouTube and, and it's gotten, you know, thousands of views and the Taiwanese are all debating about it, you know, listening to my broken, but uh, it's a, it's intelligible. I can intelligibly communicate just about anything in Chinese in in a kind of a broken fashion.
2: Um, what, what, what version do they speak in, in Taiwan? Is it Mandarin?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mandarin. And then they have some, um, Taiwanese dialect, it's kind of like a Fujian province version of Chinese, but it's mostly um, Mandarin. Yeah.
2: And they have kind of Aboriginal people there too, before all the Chinese fled there too, right? Isn't there some kind of tension? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes, yes. There's um quite a few Aboriginal tribes. Uh, they were all pushed out to the mountains and um the story is kind of sad. It's kind of like Avatar or something. They all identified with the movie Avatar when it came out um there's a movie called Cedric Bale which is about uh it's like rainbow warriors or something about the um the plight of the of um the aboriginals and then some of the heroes in World War 2 and how they were fighting with fighting against the Japanese and they're very noble but you know they're and they're all christian by the way That's all of the That's the true. tribes are christian like all of them whereas the taiwanese are all buddhist pretty much um That's yeah, and we did some. I went. To, I went on some mission trips with some of the remnant of the Children of God. Uh, some of the good ones. Uh, I went out there to the mountains and had some good. Um, you know, just passing out Costco surplus and food and stuff. And okay. yeah. so,
2: when you were in that cult, how long did you were you in the Children of God for?
1: I was officially there for I would say about two years. Gotcha.
2: So but, two two no, but, years from Japan to back to Taiwan,
1: right? Well, I went from Japan back to America. My dad's a professor of violin at University of Miami. He just retired, and right now he's um he's a concert master, a violinist uh, right. with the Naples Philharmonic. So I went back and stayed with my family for about nine months, and I was all indoctrinated, and I learned all this new information about the eschatology of the Bible and the end of the world, and. You know, and, and spiritual, kind of a mystic, like contacting spirits, you know, angels, and it was amazing. It was a lot of stuff to imbibe, and my family, of course, thought I was completely crazy. But being the loving Bashams, you know, they were, they didn't disown me. So it took me about about six months to transition from being a student to then joining them, and during which time I had a lot of miracles. Like I have to say, it really felt like God was leading me to join this cult and I can't explain why I'm still kind of like, you know, doing, you know, double takes like, uh, hello, like God, what was that all about? Like, um, after 10 years in Taiwan, I can count on one hand how many friends I have because of what took place in Taiwan over the last, uh, year and a half. And, and I, that this is after having really worked with just hundreds of people there so it's it's a it's a crazy and a lot of them hate my guts. Like they're just they're suing me, they're threatening me, they've been uh writing me very bitter letters full of hatred and and weird, twisted kind of upside down logic and like we were praying for you and you you
2: you know they think so I'm like what do they bitter. hate you for because you left?
1: Um well I was helping people leave um some of these, these cult members who were physically and emotionally abusive and had been self-professing pedophiles um, for their, you know, new 20 years, their junior wives and children from a previous marriage to want to leave that situation um, is they're very right. And I had a huge house, uh, six bedrooms with a friend of mine, that we were running, we were, we were thinking about bringing people to Taiwan uh, just as kind of like a, like a dormitory type of whatever, Airbnb type of thing. But um, it turned into a rescue mission to get these girls, these Norwegian girls, out of the situation of extreme um, abuse. And instead of joining the side of women who are being abused, all the cult people in Taiwan just decided to say, well, you know, they're the ones that are wrong. And Michael shouldn't be defending them. And those girls should just go back to where they were um, and and just, just completely, like, going into psycho mode. And to the point of just grabbing my daughter out of my house, kidnapping her out of my house, suing me over and over again, calling me an incestuous, pedophile, whatever, you know. He doesn't believe in vaccines. I mean, I saw hundreds of pages of lies about me in Chinese in the courts of Taiwan wow. by cult members. And, of course, they hid it very cleverly. They were like, oh, no, it's not. We're not suing you. It's just, oh, it's just your ex-wife doing it. Well, she was she was being used by them. So it was very clever the way that they did it um, to this day. <laughs>
2: So, so in in Taiwan, the Children of God was involved in the kind of David Berg pedophilia stuff. Is that correct?
1: Well, this is the thing. Like, I don't. I think you know your your friend who is saying like, "Oh, Aleister Crowley is a great guy," you know, and and criticizing you. He probably doesn't read the stuff where it's like well, Aleister. Not, not
2: my friend. Michael Syrian is not my friend. I'm I know. Michael I'm being sarcastic. Okay.
1: Um, it's a similar sort of situation, like. I, I think a lot of things that David Berg wrote are true and good and, and very, very um, ahead of their time. The problem was even the most loyal people to him admitted later, like, look, this guy did touch his daughter. But then they don't want to talk about that. You know, they don't want that to be a part of the discussion at all. So in the same way, you know, like Crowley, Crowleyites, you know, they're going to be like, oh, he's so cool. And he's they're not going to focus on the fact that he was a pedophile. Right, You know,
2: true, right.
1: and that was the situation in Taiwan was there were people there that that had done stuff. And I could never figure out, like, why don't you guys want to be on a podcast? Why don't we do some, you know, some online witnessing? Like, Oh, no, no,
2: no. Never use my name. Never. I'm like, what? oh. what's wrong
1: with
2: this? So and now- to- but here's where the, the numbers to me. So you were in in the Children of God for two years, but you went from Japan where you were in the Children of God to living in Taiwan for 10 years. So you were, how long were you associated with those people?
1: Well, you could say I was associated with them until about two months ago when I moved to Hawaii. This has been my detox from being surrounded by these people, which as time went on, um, it's like something happened to where the escapees, like the former members, were just more and more uh, just hopeless and just living in the past and and just focusing on the abuse of the past and how they'd been raped when they were kids or something and the ones who were in it became absolutely vile like outright satanic like i'm going to get you i'm going to destroy your life type of weirdness um and so it was just like there's nothing left for me to do here i've i've worked with you guys you know i've i thought you guys were the end time church you know and Right. you know none of you guys are going anywhere it's like you still live in 2008 when the last uh mo letter came out the mo letters were the the publications of the group which they had some pretty good ones in the back why did
2: they why did they call them mo letters
1: mo was uh the name of the prophet you know uh david berg called himself moses david and in a very very you know Rightly so. Like, they had thousands and thousands of hippies that were just living around the world, living in hundreds of countries, um, like Moses, you know, leaving Egypt and gotcha. saying a lot of the same things that we're saying on these French shows now. I mean, a lot of them are straight out of those old uh, Mo letters, which were their kind of secret, you know, Patreon, Terminal. patron-only
2: right. uh, documentation.
1: Documents, yeah. yeah, and there were thousands of them. There was, I think, up to four thousand of those letters, up to but forty those pages. Were, I
2: mean, he done, when did when did Berg die? Well, he died in ninety four, and then his right. wife took over. His wife took over. So, wasn't there some sketchy story about one of his wives or one of his girlfriends that her son came back and murdered her? Did you ever hear that story?
1: Okay, yeah, that's that was the very month that I joined in Mm -hmm. miami in 2004 um her son who she was impregnated by this whole like flirty fishing thing where you go out and you witness to guys and sometimes have sex with them and she did that and got pregnant from one of their so-called fish and david uh davidito was going to be like the leader of the group right so that
2: was right so you knew that story so that offspring of her flirty fishing he was, he was in the, yeah, continue. Tell the rest of the story. It's
1: weird. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I even have to admit, like I was also somewhat just lured into the whole thing because it was like, you know what? Sex is fine and God made it and it's beautiful. And it, it can be used to, to win souls. And and I was one to the Lord through sex and you met these guys and you're like, okay, you know, I was just 19. Like I didn't really know. Um, I should have known better, but um. But that was one of the things that they did, and he grew up and um, was apparently more spoiled than abused. People, you know, who met him that I knew were like, "This kid was the most spoiled brat you've ever met." Um, I actually interviewed uh, Michael Jeffrey King, who passed away a few months ago, and um, he was in the group, and then he left early on. But he had a, he was full of fire right to the very last days, witnessing on the streets. But he had a lot of bad things to say about David Berg and the group and that, that kid, David right. And, um, you know, that's an interview. I've actually interviewed quite a few ex, um, children of God,
2: I people. Make like a
1: page right. just of the like better
2: people that I've met that were associated with well, that. Well on your back. spirit wars, there's a lot of names of people that I've never come across like names that I'm not familiar with. So I'll have to have to kind of look through. I tried to look into all of the Chesterton stuff, but, um, yeah, so David Ito was known in there that he went back and killed his mother, huh? That was he amazing. wanted to kill his
1: mother. He couldn't find her. To this day, his mother is still living in secrecy and off the grid, and probably for a good reason. I mean, there were a lot of people that got raped in that group. Um, but he was trying to find her and kill her. Uh, Sharon Rogals, one lady that I need to interview again, she was actually directly in contact with him up to the months before the murders. And that's an investigation that needs to happen, William. Uh, because she was one of the people that helped him get set up and he became an electrician in Arizona and then he's he got in touch with some of the ex-members and back then the ex-members were so vilely just vindictive and and just hateful and like out to murder um ironically that's kind of how the the present members are now (laughs) but back then like the people in it were all like Brandon Barthrop, high on Jesus, running around, passing out tracks. And um but then he got in touch with the the ex members who were like members were right so in the killer. So he ended up
2: he didn't kill yeah. his mother, he killed somebody else, is that right?
1: Yes, sorry, yes. He he couldn't find his mother. He found his aunt his uh his nanny or his babysitter and he pretended like he needed help and then he went there and he stabbed her and then he shot himself or something. Sorry, sorry. I think he, yeah. yeah yeah
2: did uh, what what was your what was the children of god's connection to the jesus people
1: well from what i understood and this is what they taught me okay so you know you might (laughs) want to
2: take a grain of salt
1: but uh what what we understood was that it was in the period of time in 1968 when the hippies were a new thing still and the, the jesus people hadn't started yet well david berg uh, his mother was Virginia Brandberg, a famous TV evangelist, and she was kind of running, you know, the end of her course. And she was a great um, evangelist. He was always kind of following on her um, curtails or skirt tails or whatever. And then she was like, hey, David, you should go out there and start witnessing to the hippies. And so he did. And because he had all this end time, he was kind of like a, a cross between Benjamin Baruch and Brandon Barthram, if you can okay. imagine that. Like really I don't high. Know who
2: Benjamin, I don't know who Jen, Benjamin Baruch is.
1: Benjamin Baruch is like my favorite by far end time watchman. Like a Steve gotcha. quayle plus, you know, type of knows all this end time.
2: And you've interviewed him for Spirit Wars, right?
1: I just finished editing that interview just before we started this phone call. So <laughs> my okay,
2: gotcha.
1: Full of full of Benjamin's um uh interpretations of of Daniel. And to be honest, you can talk to anybody that was in the cult and they will tell you that they learned so much Bible in it because it was all about memorizing the Bible, you know, tons and tons of scriptures.
2: So did you feel like it was almost an overload of scripture, like to the point where you were in kind of a coercive environment where you had to? I mean, there was kind of like this whole thing that's common in some Christian, sketchy Christian groups is like, you're the elect, you're the special ones. Nobody else yeah. knows how to do this right. We know how to do it right. Mm-hmm. We have the pipeline to God. You know, you see that in the seventh day Adventist, exactly. May, May, uh, Mormons, etc.
1: Yeah, they had all of that going on, but they wanted to not have that because it was a very like self-conscious cult. It was like, ha ha, we're in a sex cult, ha ha. You know, you talk to people and I would go door to door witnessing, like Jehovah's Witnesses. But we would be dressed in normal clothes and be kind of like just thoughtfully talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and talking about how David Berg, you know, learned from all these different cults and tried to take something from the Mormons and something from, you know, even non-Christian sects and, like, let's just, you know, formulate this. And, yes, there was a coercive thing. Like, you weren't even allowed to go across the street to 7-Eleven by yourself. Like, one time I I did. They're like, you can't go there by yourself what did you do? I'm like, uh, I just went and like, you
2: can't ever do that. I'm like, what, what, what did I, what's their rationale for not allowing you to be out by yourself?
1: Well, fear, you know, that was the thing. There was a lot of fear. Like don't listen to rock music. It's the devil. But then all their music was based off of the rock music of their day. You know, I mean, don't don't read any publications but our publications. You're
2: like, so it's, it's definitely cultish, no doubt. The I'll I miss the whole part of I'm asking that question about the Jesus people. So Berg had somehow converted somebody in the hippie movement who started the Jesus people. Is that what happened? Well,
1: he's he was probably, and this is this is again, this is their. Um, interpretation of history but they were like we are the ones who started the jesus revolution like we're the beginning of it because nobody else was witnessing to the hippies at the time i think it was a move of god obviously i don't think it was only david Berg, but but there was something very special about those early um months that started out in just going on the beaches and witnessing to everybody that was drugged out of their mind and bringing them to their soul clinics and their um it started with a coffee house and then Okay, it started with a guy in a trailer with his three kids and his new younger wife that just invited two other guys to come live with them in like another trailer next to them. And then they were just on this kind of gung-ho mission to use eschatology teachings and the gospel to win souls. And their, their message was drop out, serve God, live by faith. You know, you don't need that. We don't need no education. You know, they were like they were saying the same message of the hippies. So that's why it just spread like wildfire. Like you can find them all throughout hippiedom in the 70s, you right. know, the, in France and in, in Japan and like every country had something like some kind of huge children of God thing going on. And of course, it was culty. But there was I have to tell you this. There was a lot of joy at times. And I interviewed um, the guy that played the Antichrist, um, Brian Moon or Gabe Iowa. I interviewed him three times Um, and he would say the same thing. He was like, look, I was there. I didn't see any pedophile stuff going on, but he he was one of the good ones. Like the pedophile stuff would happen and then nobody would call the police and then they would just kind of quietly like shut it down and maybe like try to kick that guy out. But no justice was served. And. You know, that's that's the thing about pedophile stuff in the Catholic Church, too. Like you're seeing the same sort of thing happen where there will be a lot of pedophiles. And it's not like every Jesuit's a Satanist pedophile, but then there will be some. And it's like somebody pooped in the punch bowl, you know, can't eat it anymore.
2: Well, the thing is, is that there's a code of silence within the Catholic Church. So the other priests, it's like the thin blue line or the blue line and police. You don't rat out the other guys you know you don't yes. want to make the church there's all kinds of incentives not to tell tell the truth about what's happening in the catholic church you don't you know man yeah so yeah it's uh, it's a shame but yeah you, that's why you never almost never see other priests testifying about other priests right you never see them on the stand you you just hear about settlements secret settlements or anything like that but almost no priests come out against other priests i can i can't even think of anything offhand and all of these Catholic abuses that happened where a priest came out and said, hey, this is an injustice. You know, this is a criminal act, right? Can you think of one? Maybe not. I, maybe somebody knows. You know, I read a lot of stuff, but I can't. I, I've never found that out. And just to, just to note, I interviewed almost to the day, September 30th, 2016, Camille Blindstrub on my YouTube channel about the Jesus people. Wow. So that was an interesting interview. Yeah, it's, Yeah, uh, I was—
1: I was going to talk to you about that. Yeah, that's, that would be an issue. I would love to talk to that person about um, the children of God and compare notes. So they were definitely like coincidentally at the same time, but just what you said is so interesting because that's so true. That's exactly what I saw. Like the only accounts of child abuse that I came across besides my own father, were actual um, people that were raped and the pedophile or whoever was just quietly asked to leave the premises and nothing else was ever spoken about it. But then I saw the, the, the victim promptly get into heavy witchcraft right, right away.
2: Interesting. so there
1: was like this, there was just this weird, like what the heck is going on around here? Like, like a disjointed. And I lived with these people in China. I lived with them in um, Harbin, China and, we were supposedly bringing people in to join us so we were like the elite troops but then like your kid one of thems coming off of a drug overdose and he now passed away um, my roommate at the time and, and adam <laughs> so so many weird stories
2: so what kind of and drugs to, what kind of drugs are they taking in asia are they taking do they have access to the same drugs here um they
1: have i'm sure they do i don't i've never um, been offered anything but marijuana and I haven't taken anything in my life but um it's it's a funny thing you mentioned that because the only people I knew who were taking drugs in Asia were like the kids of these of of the cult members of the family and mm-hmm. national their kids were super super into drugs and um after leaving 2 months ago uh, two of their kids uh one of them was coming off of an overdose and committed suicide and the other uh, fell from a high building within just weeks of me leaving um, two months ago. And I'm not saying that it was all like whatever it meant. I'm just saying that there is a darkness that is coming against these people that have allowed so much abuse to happen. And now finally God's turning the light on and the drugs are definitely part of it, but it's like, it's almost more of like this cowardliness to not, speak out against abuse you know to not do anything um
2: did you did you feel like their eschatology the eschatology of the group was in line with other you know in line with maybe other protestant teachings about the end of the world or did they have a variation about that and do you feel like that eschatology was did you feel like within that group the end was right around the corner like it was going to happen in six months
1: um i wouldn't say six months but it would definitely at the as it stands now it's 10 years i mean they keep changing sorry they keep changing it because there's so many um things happening in the world that you know oh well we saw this and they never set an exact date but um it's very similar to a lot of end time watchmen eschatology that you'll find um it's it was it was post-trib rapture it was you know, taking the entire Bible into account, not just a couple verses and building something around that um, you know there's there comes a point where you've memorized so much Bible that you kind of turn into Matthew Miller like you can't I don't know if you've listened to much of Matthew Miller stuff, but that guy you know even if he drives some people crazy, he's a genius <laughs> like he knows is it right. really a genius about the Bible and um it would probably be more along the lines of his eschatology or Benjamin Baruch's or uh, and mix in like a Steve Quayle and a Canary Cry Radio, like pretty much what what the what the the family, the children of God were doing for decades is what when they stopped doing it, suddenly podcasting was invented and Alex Jones came along and you know it's it's like the same exact timeline of the apocalypse except there's more mysteries to be revealed you know because it says that Daniel the book of Daniel was sealed and nobody really knows the day or the hour. But you could technically know the year you know well not <laughs> so well like,
2: in my opinion, if somebody gives you a date in the year, they're in contradiction with what Christ said, which is nobody but God knows the date and time of the end, right? So if people if there's a Christian minister stating that they're they're in contradiction with the author and finisher of their faith. It just doesn't make any any theological sense to me,
1: exactly, yeah. Yeah, but we do know that there's a seven-year timeline right. from the sign of the covenant that the Antichrist literally shows up, and he looks like the Savior. He looks like Jesus. People um, formulate a new one-world religion with him, and it's it's everything that they're doing right now. I mean, right. the family— oh, That's
2: definitely—give me one second. Give me 90 seconds, okay? Hold on. Johnny, are you still oh. there?
0: I am. I'm still here. I'm in the background with my volume down. Okay, now I'm there. Michael have you got can you hear can you hear me Michael, Michael. yes sir hey yes, sir, um rebound. I was going to say um when you when you when I first met you uh, you said that um, you you had just left the family. I was in the family, man, and I was like, I thought you were talking about Doctor Future's family. The um, you know, like the Knights of Malta, International House of Christian Breakfast Pancakes, Illuminati guys. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They're a very, very rich cult. Our our cult was really poor. And I think the leaders kept all the money.
0: And that's who I thought you were talking about. You're going. We were talking about it in a private conversation. It was about three years ago, and you go, "Yeah, I'm gonna expose them." And I'm thinking, "Dude, man, you don't want to expose those guys. <laughs> they, got, they will take you out so fast. <laughs> it's Like they they got like unlimited resources, right? Like the family, family." I
1: think so. I don't think anybody's really re- has really um, exposed them, but they're not quite as. I don't think they're doing as much like overtly crazy heinous crimes against humanity like in broad daylight you know well,
0: yeah well not in broad daylight but like dr future the what you know the stuff that he covered on them they were responsible for starting pretty much every war since like world war one uh-huh. <laughs> you know uh-huh.
2: what i'm talking about william the, the, yeah the, well about what what the, i missed that
0: well when i first met michael like three years ago he was he said that he goes dude i just broke out of the family and i thought he was talking about Doctor Future's family, you know the Knights of Malta, International House yeah. of Christian Pancakes, Breakfast Club, Illuminati guys. You know what I'm talking about?
2: Uh, vaguely. I mean, I don't. I don't know the, So, so in the Children of God, they call themselves the family. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, yeah. Like the man. Yeah, that was
1: their, that was their next name because the Children of God basically disbanded in like '77 for a while because gotcha. the leadership was so corrupt. And then um, David Berg like released it and said, OK, everybody go home. And nobody wanted to go home. These people were all too brainwashed. So then they came back together as the family of love. And then it was like the family international in okay. the 90s. Now it's just called TFI.
0: But But that's the name. That's the Knights of Malta, Illuminati, International House of Breakfast, Christian Pancakes, boys. Oh, that's
2: something completely different. You're talking about the
1: family. Some other the family. No, they
0: call themselves the Family International. That's them. That's they. I'm I'm trying to be funny. They they're the ones that uh, have that big uh, mansion on the East Coast, Uh, the International House of Prayer. I don't know. Yeah. That. You know what I'm talking about? They're like members yeah. of the Knights of Malta. They're like Illuminati. They like start wars and play, you know, they're like the chess masters behind the curtain, you know, the wizard of Oz. I thought that's who Michael was talking about. He's like, "I'm going to expose those guys." I'm like, "Dude, don't do that."
2: <laughs> so, Mike, when you left Taiwan, do you felt like you were fleeing Taiwan?
1: Um no, I wasn't. I was basically just like, I'd spent a whole year with with going to court over and over again, just to give them a chance. Like, let's let's see the court at least do its job here, or at least give them a chance. And, I mean, it started with, first of all, after uh, taking in three Norwegian girls to our house, which we had a few other people that were staying with us, that were very closely related to us, that were like family, although they weren't related to us. But, um they were there as kind of like to get away from this guy that, that I had worked with previously, but he had just become so abusive that they had to get away. So we got them out of there. And next thing I knew my daughter who was with me for that weekend, I I was already separated for about a year and a half or two years from her mother who hadn't really been in the picture, but her grandmother shows up in the middle of the day and just grabs her while I was across the street and then just brings her to a restaurant, this German restaurant that they have. And, and then, and we're like, what just happened? What, what is going on? And we realized that the people um, we were dealing with were not happy that I was um, basically being a resource being, you know, someone that is, is not pro control freak and abuse and they're like well let's kidnap his daughter he michael seems to be a nice guy and he does this podcast thing he's probably not going to do anything we'll just we'll just tell him that he better give up uh all rights to his daughter or he needs to make those girls go back you know like you either make those girls go back or you're never going to get to you know have your daughter again and we're going to start suing you well i mean i it just suddenly like awoke this this sleeping you know beast of like what (laughs) you're doing what? Okay. So, and it was a very difficult time, you know, Cassandra Watkins actually popped out of nowhere at that time, Alan Davenport, we did a bunch of shows with them and they were just like my lifeline. And I was going to court pretty much every other week, just visiting the, the Taiwanese give you a free lawyer. I didn't have enough money to get a lawyer, but they're like, okay, well, we'll get, we'll assign to you a a lawyer. And, and I had to type out all these phone transcripts, you know, of my daughter, you know, evidence that she had been relocated to her mom's new house with her new husband that she married secretly. And they're like, well, she's, she's, uh, she's doing fine. She's just fine. And then she wasn't, she was just locked in a room for a year. They just locked her in a room with TV and she was, you know, she's six years old. She doesn't know what's going on, but it was obvious they were lying. And so I had to take all these transcripts and write them in Chinese, translate them from English to Chinese. And I went to court and watched their lies. It was like, look, he's, He's sometimes when uh, when he, his daughter was with him, you know, her, her her genitals would be red, as if like I'd been doing stuff to her. They they would actually say this in court, you know, insinuating that I was a pedophile. And oh, and uh, he's got his uh, his mother in law living with him. We think he's sleeping with his mother in as If I'm gonna do something so disgusting, and then oh, he's also sleeping with his sister. Look, his sister in law is staying there as well and, and we think she's got something with him because look at this youtube video where they're they're driving in the car and they're they're having fun you know they're and so I, I went through that and then at the very end of all this crap and i had to just go through all the list of lies and be like no no lies falsehood exaggeration the very the end of it was um, um so we'll have a settlement
2: gotcha you kind of, sorry, came I, in, kind of came in and out there.
1: I just got a phone call, sorry. Um, um, the very To finish off there, the, the final icing on the cake, and the, all this time, you know, these Norwegian girls are getting just pounded by this guy, Stephen Meyer, that was just himself as a great missionary, bought himself a Harley. You know, he would go grab Bill Johnson and Heidi Baker and take pictures with them and be like, I'm a great missionary, but then he would threaten these girls and, you know, sneak into the house. And it was just a mess. And finally they got a divorce from him and they were able to escape the island. And the very next morning um, I came to Hawaii to get married and just like, you know, these, these guys, they kept suing me again and again and again. It was like, this is not working. So we're going to get, we're going to move on with our lives. You know, the court didn't help at all. You know, they basically gave them most of uh, any kind of rights over my daughter and it was like, okay, they're they're obviously criminals. We've we've got tons of evidence and and witnesses that these people are liars and they've committed perjury and they've abused women and children and the court is going along with this, you know. And you know, any money that I gave them, it would just be turned right around to, to sue me again. I mean, it costs money to sue people. Like that, right. they hired their lawyers. They didn't get any money. Like that, they they wanted to sue me for just hundreds of thousands of dollars for any possible way. And then in the end they were in tears like, "Oh, we lost everything." Cuz of course they didn't really care about uh my daughter. They just wanted money. And they were full of revenge and and hatred and and so in the end it was like, "Well, I guess I could stay here and just keep going to court against you guys and and just see my daughter like a couple times a month for a little while and just see what they're doing to her and then basically get nothing done or You know what? I think we're going to just go to Hawaii and actually like build a future family and have something for my daughter to be able to live in and to really get back on the ball with, um, with podcasting and with missionary work. And, you know, Taiwan is still on the, it's, it's in the future. I'm going to have to obviously, I mean, I have still, all my stuff is there and everything is, is, uh, I have friends there that are very loyal to me that uh, are privy to the situation. But, um, it's mm-hmm. it rather than like, oh, we've got to run away. It's more like we're not getting anything done here. Like this is gotcha. one isn't helping, you know, you guys have a 5,000 year culture of corruption and you're just happy to let things keep going along as it was. And, you know, um, I have to, you know, I have to say Johnny and I are very similar in the sense that podcasting, listening to podcasts, doing shows to you guys is very therapeutic way of just handling just evil and and just betrayal and disgusting things that people do in the end it's not just a cult that causes people to be evil sometimes people just become dark and you don't know why they're just i don't know it's why are the libtards all acting the way they are right
2: well it can happen heck? anywhere any party any person Seriously. any environment any group exactly it just be as simple yeah. as group dynamics it's you know don't need a cult yeah
1: yeah, and, and I don't. I don't like to. I mean, I'm telling this to you because you know you're asking me the questions. I don't like to dwell on this stuff very much. Well, well, I
2: appreciate you sharing it. I, I apologize. It's kind of dark stuff, but I was curious about your, a, your kind attorney. of path. We need we need your mind. This is like this is like always, a hot. Room. You always ask That's questions. You know, you get questions. It's the Socratic method. You ask questions to get to the truth. Congratulations on your marriage, by the way. That's cool. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you're you. in Oahu, it's, right? Yes. Yes. Don't go don't just, go boogie board, don't go body surfing at Sandy Beach. I'll just tell you that. Okay. It's super <laughs> what happens? It's just okay. the most gnarly beach break in the world. It's the second most um, second most broken backs in the world behind the Wedge in here in LA. But uh, Sandy Beach is brutal. It's a north shore right behind Diamond Head and only really the locals, the kind of Polynesian locals usually use it, but every once in a while somebody gets a really bad idea and goes out there, including me when, when I was 18, and uh, they drag they drag my buddy out. The problem is, is the beach break is so brutal that the waves are big, too, so they're like normally 8-foot waves with a lot of power that come up the beach and push you right back into the beach break, so if you're not uh, in superb shape, you can get in real trouble, so it's, it's oh, brutal. do not go out to the sandy beach you should go out and okay. take a look at Sandy Beach, but don't get in the water. It's really brutal.
1: Well, Waikiki has been been really nice. It's kind of like living in like downtown, like I don't know, like the Bronx or something, with all these. It's like Hawaii Five O versus every single drug druggy that you can think of. On the, side of the road. <laughs> it's pretty. They boring. have a
2: lot of homeless there too, right? Don't they have a massive homeless problem now in Waikiki? Oh my
1: gosh. Everybody is on the edge of being homeless here and the drugs are just out of control. You know, and the, the homeless situation, it's interesting. Cause I, when I got here, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to get involved with these homeless, you know, see what I can do. I'm, I'm still a missionary. And I found out that the way it works is that the shelters only bring you in if you are willing to do a drug test. And so uh-huh. the buggies prefer to just live on the street and, just kind of get by with whatever food stamps the system is so corrupt here it's it's totally run by um i met somebody in the government or who was running for office here who told me that basically the japanese speaking of cults the japanese cult uh soka Gakkai basically runs a lot of the show and
2: interesting i didn't know that. and
1: there's a huge japanese presence here but there's there's uh, quite a bit of like kind of mafia type of it's like democrat plus mafia and it's amazing.
2: So bad, on bad, slather on top of bad. <laughs> I like, just
1: need to find, I'm looking for awakened people. Like everybody has five jobs here, you know, and I'm, wow. I'm also learning how that operates. But I'm finding the people who are awake, who know about the Illuminati and everything. They're everywhere, but they're all working five jobs. You know, and you want to talk to these guys. You know, it's like some restaurant you find like a part time thing at. It's like every other guy knows about the New World Order. Right. You know, there's a lot of able-bodied men that are that we need to reach out and uh...
2: struggling to survive instead of actually yeah. seeing the root of the problem. Yeah, wow, that's a shame. It's really a shame. Oahu is a really nice island. I really like it. Oh, welcome.
1: Yeah, let's let's. Uh, and Peter Goodgame's here. Peter Goodgame uh, drove my wife and I to his church twice. Nice, already really
2: Good. nice. That's cool. That's cool. He's a, That's a long time. Uh, Iron show attendee for sure from back in the day
1: he man you get around peter good game one thing i can say about him is that the christians that he has surrounded himself with are just the legit thing and we went there the first time they were all broken t- in tears like everybody had had a family member pass away in the last few weeks oh, it no,
2: was terrible
1: crazy but just the love of those people and some of them were like into you know getting visions and mystic and just but but it was just this kind of like it was like a fringe podcast church. Everybody
2: just—that's like, <laughs> a good idea. Maybe that'll be the future. There'll be a fringe Christian church like that'll be the header. It won't be Baptist. It won't be Pres- Presbyterian. In some ways, the you know the exchange of information is is kind of like an online church. You know, people can talk. So
1: well, let me ask you this, William. What? what how do you see yourself in this? Like, what do you think we're doing by? by getting this done. It's more than therapy. I mean, it is yeah. something you do as a guy. You got to get together with other guys and talk about stuff. But like, Absolutely.
2: I mean, I think that for me, you know, I wrote I wrote Profit of Evil in 2010. I think that I was around probably another 10 years. I didn't really wake up to 9-11 until 2003 or 4. But, you know, I think that for me, it was my part, at least for me, was just to do my part to, uh, to educate. So people can, because I do think that the information in control is down to the little micron. They really want the, the Mockingbird media and everything want to control all narratives. So for me, it was like a counter counter strike against that talking about Crowley, which nobody really was talking about and talking about, you know, this type of thing. So for me, that was important. And then it kind of just morphed. Like I was really a guest on all these shows. I invited, try to invite myself on all kinds of different shows Some people said yes, some people no, but you know, it just became then I made videos, and then now I have a podcast, William Ramsey Investigates, where I just investigate anything because I do think, at least for me and what I'm called to do, is just provide, try to provide factual information on subjects that give things more facets of understanding. You know, it's like the biblical quote, you know, my people, what is it? My people fail for lack of knowledge. So I feel like I'm a, I'm, Inhibiting that failure by giving people an understanding about all kinds of different subjects that aren't that aren't really covered on any type of mass media thing. So I think that that's important. But I also think that even in an online fellowship or an online discussion is worthwhile in some ways provides even better, you know, there's nothing like inter you know, person to person fellowship, but it also provides a way for people to of similar ideas and similar outlooks to really kind of uh you know iron sharpens iron. So I think that there's a there's a that component well beyond just information. So and I think that when people have that information changes happen because I do like I think Trump was put into office because people had new information. They knew Hillary Clinton was a lifelong politician, hyper corrupt, murdering people. So I think that people getting this new information of different ideas and even Trump came out recently said at the UN I'm not a globalist I mean that not verbatim but that's an amazing statement for having all these other globalized people probably going back to George Bush in 1988 you know those are all Yaley you know uh, people who went to Rhodes Scholarship types associated with Bill Clinton I mean Rockefeller including Obama CIA agent, CIA agent connected person you know imagine that for like 25 years that no yeah, 25 years, that kind of policy where you just ship out the jobs and all the stuff, open borders. So I think uh, – I do think that information matters. If people get good information, they'll, they'll make better decisions.
1: Absolutely, and I would definitely – I knew that you would say that. I just wanted to hear you say it for the audience because that's something everybody should know, that these um, witness testimonies and your investigative reports and your your research – You know, that has caused so many nails to be put into the coffin of the globalists and the New World Order. And in their last death throes, I've noticed that the enemy usually fights you the hardest. Like, I had the most witchcraft, just disgusting stuff done against me by, by my enemies just the night before I basically won most of my victories in court. Um, the the little ones that we had in court. I mean, basically it was nothing but defense, but I haven't even begun to actually offensively do anything to these people. But um, I noticed though that the nights before uh, they would lose big time, and I'll never forget this, but what, my sister turned against me because of being kind of manipulated by people. And I was uh, posting a fringe, kind of an announcement of our wedding on that night, which I felt like was very timely, because when my wife and I announced our wedding that very night, the volcano exploded, and we were planning to move there. So it was right. kind of a sign.
2: So you were going to go to the Big Island, huh?
1: Oh yeah, we still want to go there. I just talked to a Japanese guy in Japanese for like twenty minutes, and he just couldn't stop blessing me. He's eighty-three years old, and he was like, "I just came from the Big Island, and it's just the most beautiful place in the whole world." And you know, I've only been to Waikiki and and Honolulu and Oahu and. But when I went to the Big Island, I was just, and his his eyes, his, his elderly, you know, kind of glazed over elderly eyes were like just so full of life and light. And he's like, do you know how old I am? I was like, no, said, I'm 83 years old and I'm so alive.
2: You know, I was like, wow. Just a funny note, that area where the volcano exploded apparently has the highest density of people under federal protection, under the federal protection program of anywhere else in the whole country. That's where they <laughs> ship them out so he probably meets him if you move there you'll probably meet some interesting people i know (laughs) yeah Uh, john smith my name's john smith nice to meet (laughs) you
1: yeah well um we're we have a really good plan it's to build like a community of tiny homes and we're gonna have johnny uh ship out his trailer so that his trailer will literally be at the trailer park at the end of the world we're gonna make a trailer park more (laughs) at the end of the world than johnny's if he's listening (laughs)
0: that is the end of the You're world
2: to too. hey i'll be i'll come and visit no, no question if i make it out to to hawaii but you can have johnny there and he can do all your cooking for you you know <laughs> you, you can be your local chef he's got all his recipes down yes yes oh my gosh you yes. totally homemade right. pasta pasta and gravy you know biscuits and gravy red biscuits and gravy always some gravy
1: Okay, we are not starting a cult, Just disclaimer. No cult. We want we want a retreat center. That our vision is to have just, you know, our own house, you know, separate, you know, thing for a family, you know, kids that can run barefoot on green grass, but then somewhere nearby that, maybe at Peter Goodgames Ranch because he's got a huge chunk of land there. We can have a trailer park and you could just go out there and get a tiny home. You know, they they love these like little tiny homes where you can just fit a bed and like a little sink in the bathroom type thing. And just, you know, I get phone calls all the time. Now I got one this morning, like, Hey, I, do you know if anybody has an extra room that I could stay in for a month? I just, I heard you're in Hawaii and I'm, I'm planning to go to Hawaii to, to get some detox. You know, Seriously, I mean, this yeah. is the place to go. It's just Waikiki is freaking expensive, but I think we could pull it off in the big Island though.
2: It's compact too. You know, it's like a, it's like a little mini city right down there. No. I think it's a so great idea. Keep... I wish you yeah. well. You got to think about a name. Got think about um, Trailer Park
1: at the end of the world. I guess I are. don't know. I, That's right. I, I would just afraid. I would just keep doing this. I would keep doing. We we want to do a daily transmission. I have a long list of really um, bigger and bigger names. We're gonna have Rachel. Um, Rachel, shoot, what's your last name? She's a huge new star on YouTube. Um, talking about fringe Christianity. Uh, shoot oh my gosh way sure rachel williamson i think the last name anyway shoot she's gonna kill me um coming on in a few days and then rick joiner on the 3rd of october so if you want to talk malta i will not ask him about knights of malta so don't ask me to ask him about that um but just kind of get the truth out there you know like a lot of these people they have a cult following and then my kind of idea was like let's let's mix up the cults like let's get the cult following of the fa- of originally i thought well let's just introduce people to some of the family's little known stuff and then i found out how evil things were <laughs> i was like whoa <laughs> you know this is not a this is not a distress signal it's a warning signal do not come near this planet you know hr geiger right.
2: um
1: anyway i I wanted to say that you're doing something that is changing the world and it's it's something that the enemy is gonna fight the most when he's about to get hurt the most.
2: Oh, so oh don't I, quit. Could, I could tell stories. I could tell stories. You know, the thing is is that I go all the way back when I was in DC, I worked on the when I, I for summer I was the basically factotum of a guy, John Clark, who was working on the um, the death of Vince Foster you know so I'd seen these these political murders take place. It's just incredible the cover up and the party lines and the talking points you know and so that was a real eye-opener for me and I used to, and now that I'm in LA I used to think that L. I mean DC was like the suicide cap, you know the fake suicide capital in <laughs> the world. LA is just as bad holy smoke. so there's still a lot of bad things happening you know about all of these murders that aren't really ever properly investigated so you know i i think that 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 influenced me a lot that whole situation because it wasn't just um it wasn't just being involved in that but just the cover up and the lies and the only real there were only a really a few people courageous enough to really say that 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 death was super suspicious and one of them a guy who if you get a chance and you live in Hawaii, go see him. But he ran a thing called, he used to call it Rancho Run Runamucca, but uh, now he runs What Really Happened. And uh, his name is Mike Rivera. Have you ever heard of Mike Rivera? Oh,
1: yeah, he lives here. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. give me a list of names and I'll, I'll look him up. I mean, I, I, I remember
2: from- he does a daily show, but he's actually probably, if I would put, top 10 honest people in the on alternate media who are trying to make a difference. I literally would put him in the top 10 and he really started out just running a, a blog saying, Hey, this, this Vince Foster thing is a bunch of who, this is a bunch of nut job. And this guy, he's had like 10 million, you know, denial of service attacks on his, on his, uh, website and all this stuff. But Mike Rivero is legit. I don't know where he is in, um, in hawaii but i think he's, he's in oahu somewhere but if you got a chance to meet him that's meeting a living that. legend you should interview him about vince foster if you get a chance he knows I'm everything
1: about that tonight yeah, yeah sure yeah no i mean listen guest. i've got god has put me in a position now where although i mean we do need money like i do need to remind people to support us on patreon so that i don't have to work five jobs at the burger barn down the street to um uh, to support ourselves. You know, I'm willing to do that, but we, I mean, with my wife by my side, she is, I interviewed her a year ago and she was the only one crazy enough to, to stand by this guy during all this stuff and be, and she's just been the biggest support to me. She came home and, and just, you know, threw the phone in front of me, like, here, quick, take it. And I grabbed it, got you guys on Skype and the, the internet's fine now. Like, she is so much like a support that I am, I now have the ability to set aside some time every week to interview up to three or four people that we can, we can actually do stuff. You know, we can actually do to make this happen. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be emailing Mike Rivera. If you know anybody else too.
2: Yeah. You know, I don't know who else thing. is We've out there other than Peter the Goodgame, in. but I would definitely try to get Mike Rivera yeah. and start from the beginning, ask him questions yeah. about Vince Foster and how it affected his job, why he moved to okay. Hawaii. Talk a little bit about Hollywood. He was a special effects supervisor, how it affected him. But he has a very, I mean, he's been around for a long time, even by, even before Alex Jones almost. And he's been on Alex Jones, but he knows everything on all subjects, spying, the New World Order, the whole bit. So...
1: Have like a bunch of editors that um, contribute to that, whatreallyhappened.com? Because it seems like that's that website gets quoted a lot, like regularly on like Steve Quayle and stuff.
2: Well, it should be quoted. It's a it's a fantastic website. I don't know who else. I thought it was independently run by him, but he may give rights for posting to other people. I don't know. I really don't know. But I I actually was in con when I was working as more working more as a producer for Ed Opperman. I got him interviewed by Ed. So I was in contact in contact with him. A year and a half. I actually know that he did a show within the last week, so I know he's active. He's out there be a great guest oh, you met him in person man you're meeting a really a, a living legend legend of the alternate media really one of the first guys ask him about rancho runamucca that was his first okay. website because if you can tell him that you that means you have specified information about him that probably 99 of the people don't know or don't have that was his first right, okay. website and he'll know
1: you're obviously he'll know you if i okay. He might know me.
2: He knows the people I work for. He knows John Clark and he know knew um, Patrick Knowlton. He knows those names. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We were both so still around. Actually, if you want to read, if you want to listen to that, I encourage Ed Ed Opperman to research or get in touch with both of them. He's interviewed both of them. Ed Opperman, John Clark was my boss, and and it's an interesting story. Like I have specific information because the 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 police state in D.C. is very active, and they were they were following, they were harassing Patrick Knowlton, who supposedly witnessed an alternate driver at Port Marcy Park, where Vince Foster was found. And so he never disclosed this information, Knowlton, but he had pictures of these guys, literally in like black backpacks, dark sunglasses, uh, cameras, and all these pictures of these people who were they. What they were doing was. Trying to put the zap on him, they were basically following him, sh- knowing that the, he they knew he knew that they were following him right They weren't surreptitious they weren't they meant they were meant to be seen and it was a form of intimidation so he has Pen has those pictures. I don't think they were ever published, but um yeah, I mean I sat at I sat at a table with John Clark, Patrick Knowlton, supped with them. I used to take the Metro with Clark, so I knew so for me. That was kind of a, that was an eye-opener to alternate things. So when people get suicided, which is just happening all the time, man, all these celebrities and stuff, I always am suspicious. Yeah. I'm always so suspicious. And because because I can tell you for a fact that um, that guy was murdered. Vince Foster was murdered. He was dumped at Fort Marcy Park. When I walked Fort Marcy Park, Fort Marcy, the reason it got its name is that It was an old Civil War fort. And the way they made those forts back in those days, they would just cut down a huge tree and use it as a berm, build up mud around it, and that would become a fort. So the way they found um, Vince Foster was on a berm. But the way that the body was placed, give away that he didn't do it because the way his body, he was lying on his back on a berm. So what he would have done, had to have done, And this is in addition to a lot of other factual problems. What he would have had to have done is decided to commit suicide. Walk into the park about 200 yards in a very private spot. And then walk to the bottom of a berm and shoot himself and, and plan it where he was going to fall back on the back of the berm. It's much easier if I could draw it for you, but it just doesn't make sense. The way that somebody would probably do it is stand at the top of the berm and commit suicide, and their body would fall and roll down in a crumpled heap at the bottom of the berm. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was placed on his back yeah. on a berm. In addition, and, and when people commit suicide with guns, they the, the gun, believe it or not, your body goes through like this thing of immediate electrical shock. And if you're holding a gun, people will fling it. They'll oftentimes find these guns across a room. The gun was found on his right hand, and he was left-handed. So it's on the wrong... The wrong hand that he used, and the gun is sketchy. Ask Mike Rivera about it. There's so many problems, dude. And he was, oh man. So I actually interviewed another guy about it. Was called Hillary and Vince. I interviewed them before the election, 2016. You know. So anyway, you know, just it's just so crazy, man. And these the the people what people don't understand is these political and it works on both sides of the aisle, Republican Democrat. These party systems are immensely powerful. They have very talented people that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of lawyers, PR people, um, they have fixers, cleaners, they're all in these parties, and they work on both parties. So people see this front man of the politician, they don't see the army that they that they are fronting. They don't see Hillary Clinton's army. They don't see Obama's army. They don't see, you know, George W. Bush, how many people are supporting him. So you know, I, for me, DC was a real wake-up call. That's why I got the hell out of there in three years. After I was done with law school, I'm just, I'm blood, super corrupt, super corrupt. Wow, man,
1: we have to, we have to finish our last interview that we got cut off again. The same problem with the um internet here locally, but. We were um, previously, we were talking also about um, the super soldier program and Andrew Basiago before getting cut off. Right. And it was kind That's of right. really funny,
2: like interesting. So, well, before. I think I had said in that last interview that Visaggio references the the space program's launch pad to Mars is in El Segundo at a building like I walk by all the time, like it's not plausible. <laughs> and I see people in there, you know, pushing paper. And looking miserable, so, I mean, it's just, not, it's just <laughs> the opposite of, like, a secret thing that people drive by to get to the airport, LAX, all the time. So, yeah. Are you and talking that's about that's
0: the it. jump room, the Mars jump room? Yeah, where he goes. Johnny
2: and, knows. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, Mar, he jumps to Mars and fights dinosaurs, right?
0: I heard that's Obama right. <laughs> jump to Mars, too, like a bunch of them did. You
2: know, with Obama, you know, maybe you can be... You know, <laughs> Well, there, I was speculating. There's a coffee bean and tea leaf right nearby, so I was going to go get some provisions. I was going to get a double latte and a spork or some type of you know, plastic implement and go over to the secret jump room and just test it out. Yeah. You know, I figure I figure a latte will last me on Mars a couple hours. You know, I won't starve. And <laughs> if uh, if I get attacked by a dinosaur, you know, I've got a spork. I've got weaponry. I'm good.
1: You know, I'm in touch with Andrew Basciago. I might actually interview him one of these days when when I uh, get around to messaging him again. But that would be a fun what should I ask him? Like what if I'll ask him, I'll be like, you know, I talked to a friend who says he went there and he didn't see anything, but he got a spork. You know, what
2: should I go. Well ask him this. Ask him if he's ever been in the care of a shrink or mental institution. Has he ever heard of MK Ultra? And why has he given uh why is he giving talks at Jay Z Knight's, you know Rompha thing? Why is he associated with her? Why has he talked to her about that? I think that would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that guy, whoa. yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. when I talk to people, people that,
1: you know, you're you're in a, you know the law, and I mean he Andrew Basiago is a is also a lawyer apparently. That's what he so says. They say,
2: He's, right. That's what they say. I've yeah, never. Heard I, of that. There's,
1: and there's another guy named Tolik in the New Age community that's part of all the you know the space. Um, Andromeda Council contactee Community and he's Also practicing law but he Uses a you know a, a code Name but you can tell by the way They talk that they're really well You know they're well versed And they're well with words You know
2: Oh yeah I mean he's he's got his thing down But it's just not Plausible dude he's supposedly A lawyer supposedly a lawyer with the State bar in Washington So I'm looking it up right now
0: I heard, a, I heard a presentation on the Mars jump room. I think it was on Coast to Coast, it was like maybe 15 years ago. And the guy was really convincing it, made me think maybe it was a real thing. There's this, you know, the, the, the NSA sure, yeah. or whatever the, yeah, the Black Projects had actually created this jump room where you could, it was like a trans dimensional portal to Mars. And yeah, there's like people that seriously believe that's real.
2: Yeah. But Andrew Bastiago is a practicing lawyer. He's active. He was admitted to the State Bar in Washington State, 1996. He's in Vancouver, and uh, which is outside of Portland, I believe.
0: Yeah, it's right six miles from here, right across the river. Yeah, so... Johnny, I think you should hire Andrew Bastiago for just, like, just
1: make up something. Like, your neighbor is driving you crazy, and you need a lawyer about something, and just get him, Have him, like, a little... You know, you pay like a hundred dollars and, you know, I don't know how much they charge, but I had to, I had a lawyer with Yale that graduated from Yale um, back when all this garbage started. And um, I went into this office right next to the U.S. Embassy in Taipei. And the guy was the creepiest guy ever. He cost me a hundred bucks just to sit down and talk with him for like 10 minutes. That's how much he charged. And I just wanted to see what would happen. You know, I was like, I, I, need, to, I need to get some advice here. And he was like, Yeah, we'll get your daughter back. We're good. We're expensive, but we're good. Looks like you got a good case here. And it was it was creepy,
2: man. That's yeah, That sounds but, like he was doing a pretty pretty sleazy sale there. I put Basagio's information on Skype so you can see it with his email. Okay. So you guys can email him and ask him. We'll have to which, contact the, he's yeah, Mar- him. He's the Mar wait, who is, is
0: this guy? I never even heard of the guy. Is he the Mars <laughs> jump room guy? Yes. 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 Oh. Oh. Yes. I should know that contact him you live right next to
1: him let's just contact him not as like a host of the of the iron show contact him as like you need
0: a lawyer just see what he does go knock on his door and ask him to take me to the jump
2: room yeah there you go it's right here if you come down to the jump room just come by i'm about 15 blocks away so really just, yeah yeah i'll pay for the coffee bean and tea leaf lattes
0: cool we can nice. get a
2: couple donuts, and you know we'll be good for six, seven hours at least. You know, fair. I want
1: to go to the jump. Is there a jump, room jump in Hawaii to... that I can jump over the jump room over there, and then we can all go to Mars?
2: <laughs> Probably. Anyway. it's it's inside of uh, uh, Diamond Head, like uh, some kind of James Bond superstructure. You know. It's actually yeah. fake, and inside it's actually the jump room.
0: Probably. I wasn't listening close enough. Um, William, did you say you actually you went to the jump room to look at it?
2: Dude, I drive by there every day, bro. No, That's I mean, did thing. you go in there? Oh, I mean, Well, it's a building. It's actually strange because I think it's 999 Sepulveda um, or 666. It's got some kind of weird number. That's but weird. it's on the corner. You can Google it. You can Google it, and I've seen it on there. It's Sepulveda and Imperial Highway. And it has it's a partially glass, so you can see inside of it. So it's not plot. It's not like some kind of secret space program where you can't see in. And you can go in there and just take the elevator up and you know dilly dally around. So it's it's just it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, but think, Ken- of course I know what
1: they'll say. Like, oh no, yeah, that was in the 60s and 70s when I was a part of the Pegasus Project when I and my father were taken back to the you know blah blah blah. I know what they're saying. And the thing is, they believe their own stuff. I really think that they—Anderson Institute and um, Andrew Basiago and Captain Randy Kramer—they are so well versed in their own story, and they've just believed it so much yeah. that Douglas Dietrich. You—you you mentioned that you heard the interview with him interviewing me, yes. but yeah. I interviewed Douglas about the secret space program, and he got very heavily into the Aleister Crowley sort of super soldier, super victim brainwashing program and like this kodak thing it's very fascinating and i know that douglas a lot of things that he says people are like no this is the exact opposite of what really happened but you can't deny the guy is a freaking genius like he oh, just man. the way he his way with words and stuff his photographic memory
2: but the references literally... are legit he's actually i when i listened to that thing for two hours i couldn't find any factual inaccuracies you know he's like restating things okay. off the
1: top of his head. okay wow I, I should tell him that. He's, he's got a lot of enemies. You know, I get a lot of comments on YouTube that are just like,
2: Douglas Dietrich is
1: a blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, I think That's I did like...
2: I wonder why. Well, I mean, I guess if you work under Aquino, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get some pretty interesting people coming out.
0: Wasn't Aquino the guy that... Um, the guy, the men that stare at goats and all that? Wasn't he a lot of part of that? No,
2: but oh. I think that he was part of from... From uh, what is it psyop to mind war? Have you read that book? You oh, you're talking Psy about
0: like MK Ultra?
2: No, dude, it was like something different. Where you go, he's like talking about the next step between beyond psychological operations is just pure mind war, where you're just constant. You don't run a psychological operation and quit. You just go to war against people's minds per- permanently. Have you ever read Psyop to Mind War by Aquino? No. I should oh, read man, that. Oh man! Oh, dude! It, I got to read that. Charts. And one of the kickers is about that book is that uh, Colonel Paul Valelli, who he wrote it with, is on Fox News all the time. He's like uh, always on there as a Fox News contributor. You can read it for Boy. free on Archive. I'm putting the link in Skype.
0: Do you think yeah, we're like? Do. do you think we're no, like the, the victims of a mind war? Do you think it's like happening to us now?
2: I think that actually under yeah, I think under the Bush administration I think he implemented some of the ideas of uh, of Aquino in, in in running, you know, the eight years that he was in. But he references John Marks the search for the Manchurian candidate in, in this book. There was a lot of
0: occult stuff in, in Bush's uh speeches like the angel and the whirlwind and
2: no doubt. And uh in in war, this is Okino. Your reference is MacArthur saying, "In war, there's no substitute for victory." But yeah, no Bush. Do you ever see the thing where Bush um, had talked to Ozzy Osbourne? No. Said, yeah, go look that up online. It's a crazy video. What? But he's talking. He's talking to. He's talking to Osbourne. Osbourne gets up and gives like the Masonic healing sign, where he puts his hands over his head and waves to him, and then Bush Jr. starts talking about the Black Sabbath songs. Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, night—you know—all these really graphic stuff, war pigs. And then he says to Ozzy, "Mom loves your stuff." And the whole audience laughs. It's incredible. (laughs) Wow! Yeah, that's incredible. Have you seen George
0: Bush's artwork? He's become an artist now. It's
2: it's not—it's the—it's not pretty. Have you ever heard? Did you ever see the video of her, of his mom, talking to Larry King, where she says, "If you touch my kid, I'll kill you." I know. (laughs) i'll read it to you here it is this is from live transcript larry king live october 22nd 2003 barbara bush well first of all you have to watch the father of the present suffer and it hurts when your children are criticized it hurts a lot larry king he takes it badly bush barbara bush he and i both do he curses i grip my teeth but no he really he knows it's the name of the game but it gets pretty ugly king it was much harder for you barbara bush much Larry King, when he, when the current president is criticized, when the husband was criticized, right. King, how do you explain it motherly, Barbara Bush, motherly and fatherly? I mean, it's just a normal reaction. But the same would be true if something happened that was difficult for Jeb or for Doro or Neil or Marvin. And you can criticize me, but don't criticize my children and don't criticize my daughters-in-law and don't criticize my husband or you're dead.
0: Whoa. She actually threatened Larry King?
2: She just uh, she just made this statement that don't touch my children or I'll kill you. Wow. Two thousand three. So she's she's gone. Wow, I still means- think it's an open question whether she is the genetic offspring of Crowley. I think it's still a valid question. Yeah, I do have was, the answer.
0: That was a huge conspiracy about that. Do you remember that, Michael? Was- i never heard that before i I yeah. may have heard it a long time ago i'm passing but that's fascinating
2: if you and guys it's, re- it's great to
1: hear from you yeah if
2: you, well i it's not something that goes away but if you read if you read children of the beast i have a picture of her and her husband in roy in like Emperor- imperial purple in front of george w bush's aircraft carrier with the number 77 which is crowley's libra oz you know it's uh the rights of Crowley's rights of man, where you can do whatever you want, and if anybody frustrates those rights, you can kill him. So it's kind of like this weird tie-in between her, the num- numerology, the illuminated numerology of Bush, and this the statement within Crowley's statement and her statement. It all fuses together. If you really kind of key into it in the book, it's like a real subtle, like and it makes sense. It all fits sense. And her, her story, you know, they had a kind of an arranged marriage, her and her husband. But the timing of when Crowley was in France, when her mother was in France, her name was, I uh, can't remember her maiden name now, the mother's name. But Crowley was there with this guy, and they were practicing these kind of rituals that required servitors. And her mother was friends with this more this O'Hara girl who was friends with uh, Crowley's friend Harris. And she comes back pregnant. She doesn't live. Have you seen the picture of Barbara Bush with her family when she's younger? She's a genetic anomaly. She doesn't look like the rest oh, of them.
0: Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Well, was her mother well, anybody significant or not Not really? No, her
2: mother was a like. Uh, so the father was the head I think he was Harper's Magazine. He was the publisher of Harper's. But her, she's a Pierce. So I think it used to be one of the big um, it was one of the big uh, firms in New York City. One of the big financial firms was it was something, but Pierce was one of her her father's father, was so she, both sides of that family have huge finan, you know, financial uh, firm backgrounds, you know, because uh, George Bush Sr.'s dad, Prescott, worked for uh, Harriman Brothers, right? So yeah, the Nazis, dads, they're blue buds. Well, there's a lot of sympathy. Yeah, well, the dad. Was a Nazi sympathizer, sympathizer through Union Bank. They got, I think they had the bank shut down because of their their relationship and trading with the Nazis, if I remember correctly. And he was supposedly that Prescott, the grandfather, was involved in like trying to overthrow um, Roosevelt. And then then that book, that War Is a Racket, by Smedley Butler. Smedley Butler was one of the people who knew about him, publicized publicized their shenanigans, their kind of deep state shenanigans during the war, so it's all kind you know, this kind of deep conspiratorial politics subterfuge and all that, it didn't, didn't start ten years ago, it goes way back it goes all the way pre, yeah. probably pre, you know, Federal Reserve it goes all the way back, I mean, if you look at uh, Jackson and his desire to stop a, a, a nationalized bank, I mean, he got shot twice a guy walked up to him, pulled the trigger and the gun fired. I mean, the dude people are trying to kill Jackson all the time. So, I mean, it's, uh, it goes way back. Andrew Jackson.
1: Well, there's, there is the thing about, you know, George Washington writing letters about the dangers of the Illuminati infl- yes. and, and thing and, in, um, infiltrating
0: the Freemason lodges. So right.
2: involved in the French revolution, right? So
0: I think Kennedy pretty much echoed his, um, sentiments and his speech. That was that's what got him killed partly.
2: Partly, I bet. Absolutely. Among other things. Yeah, I think he was kind of a resistor. He also he had some really sketchy personal relationships and all kinds of stuff. And people around Kennedy died. There was one girl, her name was uh, Mary Pinchot, Pincho, P I N C H O. She was killed in D.C. on the locks in Georgetown. He was friend, it was a lover of Kennedy. He was kind of an intermediary and supposedly rumored to have delivered LSD from Timothy Leary as an intermediary to Kennedy while he was president
0: i know he was on a lot of amphetamines and other vitamins and he had a he had a private doctor that followed yep. him around injecting him
2: constantly yeah, look, steroids and all kinds of stuff so yeah he wasn't in good health yeah no. there's some pictures color pictures of him where he looks like his skin is you know like he had diabetes or something like it, like the tan was trying to cover something up. Like he just wasn't healthy. He was constantly in a back brace, is my understanding. You know? So yeah, it was that was a the Kennedy death. It's interesting too because you can always remember the death of Aldous Huxley, C.S. Lewis, and John F. Kennedy because they all died on the same day, September 22nd,
0: 1963. Really. Yep. I rem- That's my first memory, although that's, they say that would be impossible for for me to remember it. I was a year and, what, 12 days old. But I remember my mom looking at the TV and crying, bawling her eyes out. Oh, wow. that's
2: amazing.
0: And when I was, uh, oh, maybe seven or eight, I asked her about that memory. She goes, that was when they shot President Kennedy. How could you remember that? Well, it's my
2: oldest memory. That's remarkable.
0: Kind of dates me, huh?
2: Scary. Well, my mom, my mom was kind of like, she's always voted Republican, but she had pictures of John F. Kennedy on her while she really liked him.
0: The country loved Kennedy. Just pretty much everybody loved him. He was, pretty, he was like our last good president, even though he was kind of a bad guy, but
2: yeah, no. Well, I mean, not get out of Vietnam. What happened when he died? Johnson comes into power and we go to Vietnam, right? Escalate all those wars. Johnson had, didn't he have some guy Mac or something? His. Who was a member of the Skull and Bones, he was his hitman. I mean, yeah, oh, it's crazy. And who who got their start in politics under uh, Johnson? Uh, who? Bill Clinton. Oh, really? Yeah. He was one of Johnson's I think front men back in the day. They're both Southerners, right? Right. He was, Johnson yeah. is really a scoundrel. I mean, a real rogue.
0: Yeah, there's a wow. lot of really weird things, like when they swore Johnson in, I was hearing something about that they didn't do it that way back then, but you could tell it was rehearsed, like they had planned the whole thing. You could probably articulate that. Do you know anything about that? You
2: know what I'm talking about? What well, the, the the swearing in, yeah. Wasn't some guy, like, winking at uh, – uh, wasn't he winking at LBJ or something like that? But, yeah, I think that there was something – some anomaly, if I remember that.
0: There's something where he was sworn in um, basically before he was supposed to be sworn in, or it was done differently in a way that presidents aren't sworn in. It was, oh, I wish I could articulate it. That's what I get for opening my mouth. Michael, this is your show.
1: Well, I'm just, my mind is jumping into a million tangents listening to you guys because, like, Douglas Dietrich talking about, you know, the surrender of Japan being a weird thing and. The, the ceremonies oh and to bring to tie it back into the family international cult again it's interesting that when obama was sworn in as president that the guy that was doing it was actually related to someone in the cult and oh, he really? actually um made a mistake and he said i do solemnly swear to betray the united states of
2: america
0: yeah.
1: and then obama corrects him he's like you mean, and he says some other word, you know, he's like, Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> it's just the most prophetic thing ever. But there's all kinds of interesting things that happen in those moments of declaration that are like key things, you know, like, um, and with the Japan thing, D- Douglas says that they, Japan swore, uh, that Japan admitted defeat with an upside down flag, which would have been illegal. So then his big thing is like, well, Japan never formally surrendered. That means they won the war. Well, I wouldn't take it that far. But it's still interesting to know, like, what goes on underneath all the legalese that, you know, were given in the mainstream media to right. think what happened. You know, right. it might not be jump rooms to Mars, though. Um,
2: right. I think that's a little but, too, far out, too far out. I, I
1: right? didn't want to say the reason I wanted to bring bring that back up, though, because we left off from there was that one of the other interesting things Douglas pointed out is that a lot of these super soldiers that have been to Mars, they all worked under the same kind of psychological brainwashing unit or something that in in essence, they've all been basically MK ultra and the super soldiers, one other name that maybe you guys haven't heard because you haven't been like bored and listening to YouTube for the last decade as I have before getting into this podcasting stuff. I've been, I've been listening to every gosh darn Carrie Cassidy interview with,
2: you know, Project
1: right. Camelot, Camelot or what you yeah. yeah. uh, I listen to every James Casbold interview, and they all say the same thing is that they have a, there's a, J, a George Bush Sr. and the Queen of England are in these underground Nazi Fifth Reich off world time traveling super soldier units while you're getting like brainwashed to, you know, become superhuman or whatever. And it's interesting that they always mention George Bush. Well, I just saw Donnie Darko for the first time in fifteen years. My wife was like, "We got to watch Donnie Darko." I'm like, "Are you serious? You hate scary movies?" I'm like, okay, let's watch it. And there's a scene where it's like an MK Ultra flashing with information scrolling through the screen, and then it just flashes George Bush's senior's face, like just for a split wow. second. It's in. It's totally, you know, it's totally there, and it just makes you wonder. Like that movie was like a total expose of. You know, pedophilia in high places. Like, it's blatant. You, everybody should watch Donnie Darko again.
2: Wow. I got to check that out. There's a mo- yeah. yeah, I'm going to be done soon. I got a movie for you guys to watch. Have you guys ever watched The Parallax View? Yes, but it's been a while. God, you guys got to watch that again. It's incredible. Okay. Mind got control, it. patsy creation, political assassination. It's all there. The parallax ah. view. Mike, I hate to do this to you, but I think I got to wrap it up.
1: Thank you so much for your patience. I know you were waiting since like three and a half hours ago to start.
0: So. <laughs>
2: well,
0: I, I wasn't. Your
2: I I was, was not twiddling my thumb sitting in front of the computer, but I thought we were going to go eat my time. So anyway, it's all good. Thanks for well, having me on. on your I'll know. use a Great to talk. I learned a lot. Great
1: talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny.
2: Thank you, Johnny. Johnny, you recorded this whole thing on Spreaker, right?
0: I did. I got it. Yeah, I got it on my machine. I got it on Spreaker. It's all available for download later.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Johnny. All Good right. to be with you as well. Good to Talk hang with out with you guys. You. Awesome.
1: You. Thank you, guys. bye Blessings. Okay, bye.